Hi guys, welcome back to A Pocket Full of Podcasts. So today I'm going to be talking about the impact of contraceptives, periods and social media on our mental health. So I decided to talk about this topic because it's not spoken about enough. I remember being at school and I was never really taught much about contraceptives, about periods. I think the first time I thought about a period was I was in uh, RE, so religious education session, and my male teacher said a story which scarred me for my childhood life. So he said that it's important to talk about it and know what a period is because one girl was starting to bleed she was having her period for the first time and she thought she was dying and threw herself down a well and as soon as he said that I was shocked like absolutely shocked because like I didn't start my period at that point I was terrified about it and I didn't think that was an appropriate story like the meaning behind it, I understood that he was trying to like say it's really important to talk about it. But the example he gave, <laughs> it wasn't great, especially for young girls. And that's why I want to talk about this topic today because young girls aren't educated enough on it. And I remember going to the doctors for my first ever contraceptive and I was embarrassed, I was nervous, and I didn't know what to do so I think it's really important to talk about it and understand the reasonings why we feel this way when we're menstruating and how the contraceptive pill, implant, injection, coil affects us in different ways so that's what my podcast is about today and I'm just kind of want to start off with why do Tampax always all of these brands like glamorize periods like I see oh buy this tampon because you'll be able to do this you'll be able to run you'll be able to enjoy things that you can't do when you're on your period and I don't know about you but when I'm on my period all I want to do is curl up on the sofa binge watch Netflix and eat a fuckload of chocolate so I don't like the unrealistic, you know, portrayal of what a period is like. It's glamorised, which creates this negative stigma for when we actually are in a lot of pain because of periods. It's just demoralised and not taken seriously because people who don't understand periods will be like, what are you on about? It's just a period. So those type of adverts really grind my gears like I'm not here for it I'm really not and even films it's the complete polar opposite you'll go to a film where um someone's on her period and she's just bled like Niagara Falls throughout her jeans or skirt at school and it just doesn't like it happens it's happened to the best of us and we shouldn't be embarrassed about it but there's just no kind of realistic expectations for young girls to realise what their periods are going to be about. So another important thing I wanted to address 
is period poverty. So period poverty is basically girls not being able to afford period products, sanitary products and having to kind of live in that period poverty. So there's a culture of shame that has had a devastating impact on young people who do menstruate. So a mixture of this is period stigma, high prices for period products and lack of education about periods. And this creates a toxic period topic. And that's another reason why I'm going to be discussing this. So 48% of girls between the ages of 14 to 21 are ashamed of their periods. So if you think about it, 48%, that's nearly one in two women are ashamed of their periods. Obviously age 14 to 21. So young girls are ashamed to talk about it. They're embarrassed and that really shouldn't be the case. Like we should embrace the fact that yes, we menstruate. That's the circle of life. That's how we have children. That's how we live. And we shouldn't be embarrassed about something that, you know, one in two people have and will go through throughout the whole of their life well until you reach menopause but still it's just so natural and no one should ever feel ashamed and also 42% of UK girls have had to use makeshift period products because they struggle to afford menstrual products another shocking statistic and a heartbreaking one as well and the fact that one in 10 girls are unable to afford period products in our country, especially in the United Kingdom, is appalling. No girl should have to go through school being afraid and ashamed that they may, you know, leak through. I remember walking through school and always asking my best friend, like, can you just, can you just check my skirt? Can you just check my skirt? Walk in front? you're fine, you're fine, and having that anxiety about it, it does not add, you know, greatness to your daily life, and it just gives you more anxiety on top of everything else that you're going through at such a young age. So, there's a project called Let's Talk Period, and this was funded by the Department for Culture, Media and Sport. They've offered, you know, small grants to help in local communities. There's something called a P-card, which is a new model of delivering period products to schools and educating young girls and everyone on periods. And they've provided a lot of research into it as well. So they're a really good company who campaign for this. So I would definitely look at that. I will obviously put a link for that place in the description for you to have a look at. So Scotland has actually become the first country in the world to make period products free. This is a massive achievement and something that every other country should really take on board and follow in Scotland's footsteps. They are one step ahead of everyone at the moment and I really applaud them for this. So the rest of the UK, we have a... Um, process to go through to get free period products and I didn't know about this until I done my research so a lot of young girls are not going to know about this either it's not publicized enough and 
it's really something that the rest of the UK should really take on board and follow in Scotland's footsteps because no one should ever feel like they can't use sanitary products because they can't afford it. No one should ever be in that when it's something so important and natural that we cannot physically help. So for example, in Tesco's, they actually eliminated the tampon tax. Well, they didn't eliminate it. They basically, they pay the 5% VAT. So then you do not have to pay that. So that's a really good step from Tesco's. So if you ever want to buy your sanitary products, I definitely go to Tesco's to get them. The one thing you can do is when you're at school or when you're at university, if you speak to your student union, they tend to have free sanitary products on tap for you and for people. And I found this was so beneficial for me and so reassuring that when I went to the library and I suddenly came on my period and I didn't have anything on me, I could rely on student services to be able to provide that. So by having, you know, free sanitary products in the bathrooms available for women and young girls is really really the step we need to take in order to progress so I definitely would speak to your students union or your student services at school university college wherever it may be and put that idea forward see if you can get some small funding from your council or just from the school itself or college it's definitely something that everyone needs to kind of take into consideration and we have to, you know, move forward with this and end period poverty. So there's another thing I kind of wanted to discuss. I did put out on my Instagram about this, about whether or not women should have menstrual leave. And the feedback I got was mixed, which I was surprised with. I would have thought that a lot of people would have gone for, yes, they should. But I had a couple of people that went in the other direction so Japan offered menstrual leave policies since 1947 which allowed women with painful periods to take time off. Zambia has also followed in Japan's footsteps along with other countries such as South Korea, Indonesia, all of those countries have decided to do the same. And menstrual leave isn't a free holiday. It's not for people to, you know, take a day trip down to Dubai. Anything like that. It is merely for those who need it. And I've had days where I've had to take time off work due to my periods where they've been so excruciatingly painful that I've been bed bound. And I'm anemic also. So when I'm on my period... I don't have enough red blood cells in me anyway, but as soon as my period hits, I will just go straight down. So I have personally had time off, but it's you have that sense of embarrassment calling in sick because of your period, and that should not have that stigma at all. So I understand the arguments from both sides. I think those who need it should have allocated time off if necessary, you obviously don't need to take that time off, but having that as a safety net is something that can give a lot of reassurance to a lot of women who do suffer with endometrius, PMS, PMDD. That sounds really cute, by the way, PMDD, but it's not cute. <laughs> you can say PMDD, PMDD, 
um, but I will go on to what these also mean later on. But I think these laws should be in place to protect women in the workplace because some people who have extreme pains, extreme disorders that affect them when they're menstruating, they should have that protection from being, you know, penalised for having time off because of it. Because some people do not go to work because they are in so much pain they can't fulfil their duties. It's the same with young girls at school. Um, a lot of people would get a sick note for PE and to get out of, you know, after school activities because of period poverty and because they're embarrassed and ashamed that if, you know, when you're exercising and so forth, if something happens to them in front of everyone, there is that sense of shame and embarrassment. And no one should ever be made to feel like that. And by having, you know, menstrual leave at workplaces, allowing it and more education in schools will definitely, you know, benefit everyone. Having that education, having the talks about periods and the effect it has on your day-to-day -day life. So what is PMS? PMS is premenstrual syndrome and this affects a high percentage of women of a childbearing age with many women feeling mood changes in the days before menstruation. So some of the symptoms are as follows, so irritability, anger, mood swings, depression, crying, oversensitivity and anxiety. So as you can imagine, those listening and girls as well, you can 100% relate to this, it's emotionally debilitating. PMS can cause wild and uncontrollable mood swings in women. So crying spells leading to angry outbursts and anxiety attacks and then straight back to a stable emotional state all in one day. So it's emotionally draining. PMS actually starts a week or two before your period and stops a day or two before menstruation starts. So when, this has definitely happened to me, when you're feeling, you know, that you've just gone batshit crazy, like why the hell am I laughing my head off and now having a crying spell? It's because you are having your premenstrual syndrome, which is affecting you a couple weeks before you actually have a period which I did not know until I started researching on this topic and I found out that it actually makes sense. Like I definitely become very irritable and my emotions are all over the place. But I wanted to understand the scientific reasoning behind it. Why do we do that? Why do we act like that? And it's because our estrogen levels begin to rise slowly just after our periods end. So when the period ends, estrogen levels drop like a rock and then rises slowly. So the drop in our hormone levels is drastic. It's from zero to 100, 100 back down to zero, which explains why we have these mood swings and other symptoms that come along with it. So I mentioned as well PMWD or PMDD, which sounds cute, but it's not cute, uh, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So three to five women suffer with this and it has also now been added to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, also known as the DSM-5. So the symptoms that you need for this to be diagnosed are as follows. 
So deep sadness or despair with possible suicidal thoughts, lasting irritability and anger, which includes the outburst that we've spoken of previously, feelings of tension or anxiety, panic attacks, mood swings, crying, disinterest in daily activities, trouble thinking or focusing, feeling out of control, fatigue, low energy, and food cravings or binge eating. So you need to have at least five of these symptoms around the time of your period. So with PMS, it's about two weeks before, one to two weeks before and ends a day or two before your period starts. For PMWD, you need this at the time of your period. So that's the difference between the two. And like I said, I'm not medically trained in the slightest, I'm not a doctor, but if you do feel that you may be relating to this, you should definitely speak to your general practitioner, your doctor, and get their professional opinion on this matter. So I had a look at, you know, what we can do without, you know, medical help. So for some medication is necessary and you can talk about that with your general practitioner or your doctor and um, what I've looked at is what we can do ourselves like from our own home. So like I mentioned before in my previous podcast, which I hope you enjoyed, you should exercise. This lifts the moods and improves depression. So those endorphins, those good endorphins are released, which are the happy hormones which we love which we need you can also do a lot of stress management so this is relaxation techniques such as meditation deep breathing yoga you can find such great videos on youtube for beginners intermediate etc i tend to use guided meditation on spotify And that just helps me because a lot of people think meditation is just the sitting down with the fingers on your knees going om, which it is sometimes, whatever works for you. You can also eat small frequent meals instead of large meals. This is to try and keep your blood sugar levels steady. By having the bigger meals, you'll crave more, which would then make that blood sugar level drop and then you'll feel a lot worse. Studies also show that having plenty of calcium can help ease mood changes related to PMS. So eat a block of cheese, Mm. get some brie, some camembert, getting enough sleep as well, like I've mentioned previously in my first podcast, is really important for your body to rejuvenate. Eliminating caffeine and sugar, sad, I know, but that can also help. Um, in regards to the symptoms during your periods so mental health can cause period problems or make them worse as well as that so that makes a lot of sense to me because I didn't have a period for four years and then I had the most horrific time with my menstrual cycle and that was when I was at my lowest so there is that correlation there and studies show that women with an anxiety disorder or substance use disorder are more likely to have a shorter menstrual cycle and those with irregular cycles are linked with people with eating disorders depression and women with bipolar disorders are actually twice as likely to have irregular periods so 
In regards to contraception, there was a study that found that women who use hormonal contraception were more likely to be started on antidepressants or to be diagnosed with depression. So the early studies on the first generation of hormonal contraceptives showed that oral contraceptives with high progesterone content would cause depression in healthy women. And this was a study by Herzberg B. et al. in 1970. So progesterone only forms were originally more favourable because they were longer acting and required less compliance from the user. But today, newer formulations of progesterone-only contraceptives contain synthetic progestions that are similar to progesterone. God, this is a mouthful, isn't it? But have a higher specificity and fewer reported side effects. So in one study, researchers analysed the effect of progesterone-only contraceptives on the mental health of women. And this was by the researcher Westhoff C. et al. 1998. Results showed that 93 of 910 women in the study dropped out due to significant negative health issues. Further analysis of these women six months later showed that they had a higher depression score than those who remained in the study. In a, another a similar study by the same researchers, Westhoff C. et al., 218 out of 495 women dropped out of the study while testing another gestion only contraceptive. So the reason for dropping out was attributed to higher depressive scores. In contrast, those that remained in the study had a positive change in mood scores on follow-up. So it appears that for some, progesterone-only contraceptives may worsen the mood, but only in women who are susceptible to it. Which I found really interesting because I was on progesterone-only um, contraceptives for about four years. I was on the implant, which is progesterone-only, and I was diagnosed with depression whilst I was on the implant. So there is that correlation there, and it would, you know, make sense as well, but I'm now on a combined pill and I do feel a lot better in myself and my periods are now regulated which is really great I know when it's coming when hell breaks loose but it's just so much better for me and if it's not working for you if you are having those mood dips and you're not feeling great when you're on progestion only it's definitely worth speaking to your nurse or GP about changing to a combined pill which has estrogen and progesterone in it's you know you've got to think about your mental well-being alongside your menstrual cycle so with everything that i've already spoken of it relates as well to the use of social media having an impact on our mental health so when we're at our lowest anyway and we all go towards using our social media apps. There's 4.2 billion social network users. So a lot of us are using these social media networks. And when you're already unhappy with your current circumstances, this leads to self-esteem issues and depression. And social media has also been associated with cyberbullying and cyber abuse. So this also again leads to problems of self-esteem, privacy, and it is nearly impossible to avoid bad news and negative influences on our lives, which leads 
to long-lasting psychological repercussions. So there's a massive impact on social media and there's so much to talk about in regards to social media and how it influences our lives. But it can also heighten anxiety by increasing those who use social media. It just challenges them and it challenges their ability to keep up with the Kardashians. Do you know what I mean? Where I used to get this all the time, but I'd have a fear of missing out. I'd have FOMO all the time. Like, if I don't go out, I know I'm going to get FOMO and I'm going to feel really shit about it. I'm going to feel really anxious. And that is what social media has done and created. Because before social media, you would meet up with your friends and you wouldn't know anything about it if you didn't. So social media has created more fear more anxiety, more self-esteem issues and depression and it really does affect you on a day-to-day basis and some may say as well that when you're refreshing your feed it's to get that high feeling, get the release of dopamine because you're not satisfied yet so you keep and keep and keep refreshing and you have, you, you feel this obligation to interact online and update your socials all the time and there's such pressure as well especially on LinkedIn that you've got to keep reposting things liking things sharing things commenting and posting all the time to try and get hired and seen by those on LinkedIn it just provides a negative atmosphere for yourself and it benefits in some way. So when you do get, you know, connections on LinkedIn and people offer you jobs, you know, that's fantastic. It's always great, but there is a lot of negatives to it. And FOMO especially has been linked to intensive social media use and then it's also associated with lower mood and life satisfaction. So it's just always thinking about what everyone is doing is comparing yourself to other people. So when you are at that low point, when you are going through your premenstrual syndrome, where you are at a lower mood and you're irritable and angry, seeing people in Dubai in a pandemic, influencers traveling to Dubai during a pandemic to work as such, they could genuinely be there for a, a good reason, but that will play a part in people's depression, anxiety, self-esteem and it will just anger you as well because you're unhappy with your current circumstance and then seeing a glamorous lifestyle, glamorous facade on social media, especially Instagram, you don't see the full picture and I think that's what you need to remember because there is a lot of obsession with self-image and that will just that will end up destroying you in the end and the one thing I personally dislike about social media is the lack of human interaction like having people around you it shapes a massive part of your behavior and development especially as a young child you need to be surrounded by people and you need to have that ability to watch what other people are doing especially when you're at the critical age where toddlers babies and toddlers they are sponges they 
learn from everything that you're doing because it's a survival technique. They see that their mum is constantly on their phone so when they grow up they're going to be exactly the same and I'm really thinking about doing a podcast on social behaviours and human interaction and the effect of social media as a whole so if you think that's a good idea let me know if you've got any ideas that you want me to discuss again let me know as well social media isn't bad altogether you know I am 100% on social media I'm guilty of it so there are a lot of good things that come out of it you know I get to connect with my friends and family who I don't live near I get to see what people are doing who I haven't spoken to in a long time and you know even just liking someone's picture gives that clarification it's like an unspoken rule that if you like someone's picture it's like oh, I'm still here for you I'm still here don't worry about that with you know organizing protests marches if we didn't have social media none of the black lives matter movement would have happened because we wouldn't have seen that and it's so important that we did and we all were unified together to kind of stand as one and be united against racism and discrimination and against police brutality and I think it's really important that we do have social media for the good things but there is a lot of negative impacts on your mental health. So I kind of want to just end my podcast here um, so I really hope that you enjoyed it, I hope it brought some you know light to the the darkness topic as it is, the tabooness. But what I want you guys to take from this podcast is break the stigma, fight period poverty, and buy your products from Tesco's. They pay the 5% VAT, even though they should be free in my opinion. But just support each other, speak up about it, speak to your student unions about getting free period products for students and same in schools it's just so important and just help each other out talk about your periods i'm not saying run down the street screaming i'm on my periods guys i'm on my periods i'm talking about look i'm on my period at the moment i'm really not feeling great x y and z don't be afraid to call up your male boss and tell him you're on your period you know it's a way of life and I hope you all stay safe, stay well. The end is near. Oh, I'm so excited to go to the pub with all my gals. But please stay safe. Please talk about it. And thank you so much for listening. Take care.